when it comes to uh, songs, uh, typically, for most people, the songs that we like the most are the songs that tell the best story. Uh, we love a song that tells a story, whether it's a happy story, a sad story, you know, no matter where it falls along the, you know, the spectrum of human emotion or human experience, we love songs that tell a story. And for me, it may not be the case for you, and you may decide that you can't come back to this church after I tell you what I'm about to tell you, but for me, I don't think there's any genre of music that tells a better story than country music. Country music can tell a story better than any other genre of music. I mean, when the right country song comes on that's telling a story, because not all country music is country music, I don't care what people call it, but I'm talking about country music. I'm talking about country music before country music was cool type of country. I'm talking about country music that tells a story. I mean, a story that as you hear the song, you can almost you can almost see it play out in your mind. It's like a movie. It's like a miniseries. You can see the whole thing. You can see the characters. It's like, you know, when you hear the introduction to a song, like, you know, I think of a song by Randy Travis that gives us an unsavory and savory cast of characters from the very beginning that says there was a farmer and a teacher, a hooker and a preacher. You know, it's going to be good. I mean, you don't know where the story's going, you don't know what's happening, but there's a farmer and a teacher, a hooker and a preacher, and they're on a midnight bus bound for Mexico. And then you get to the chorus and you hear this. This is, this is what Randy there sings. Free but there were four the characters. We lost one somewhere along the way. It's just like, you know, some of you have never heard that before. I feel sorry for you. You should go, you should look it up because it's a great, I mean, it's like a movie. I could see it. I could almost write the movie. I mean, it's, it's amazing. It's like the farmer, the teacher, the hooker, and the preacher. And then there's three wooden crosses. It's like, what happened? Something happened on that midnight bus to Mexico. That must be a good story. And that's what makes a good, you know, a good song. Uh, there, there's other songs, you know, that, that ties together exactly the right themes. And I know some of you can't believe I'm playing music again, but that's okay, get over it. There's doors in every building we're in, feel free to exit. Uh, but I just couldn't help myself. I, I thought last week, you know, played all these 80s hits and different things. And I thought, man, for what we're talking about today, country just hits because country knows how to put together the right themes. You know, you know Brooks and Dunn, they had that song, Red dirt road. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Red dirt road. And, and this is what, this is what they sang about the red dirt road. Remember this? It's where I take my first beer. It's where I found Jesus. Okay. All right. It's where he drank his first beer. It's also where he found Jesus. Now here's a little secret. If you can put Jesus and beer in the same line in a country music song, it is a hit. It's just a hit. I mean, if you can find a way, the same place I drank my first beers, the same place I found Jesus, you know, it's where I had my first, I mean, it's just amazing. I mean, it's what a great story. I can see that red dirt road. I, I think I've driven down it before. I, I don't know. I, I feel like I know these people that are in this story. I feel like I've got some cousins from Mark Chestnut, a tune that he wrote. You remember this one? Bubba shot the jukebox last Bubba. night. So Bubba shot the jukebox last night. Said it played a sad song that made him cry. How many's got Bubba in their family? If, if you don't have Bubba in your family, how many has a visual image right now of Bubba? Him and all of his backside cleavage and all. I mean, you can just, you can just see Bubba. I mean, it's just obvious who Bubba is. It, 
But for me, you know, any, anything you talk about stories in country music, and I got to move along um, because, again, I could do this all day. But, but Reba McIntyre, she not only tells a story, but she can also give wisdom, you know, as a sage in the midst of a story. You remember this one? This was a hit for her a long time ago. She did a cover of it. But the night the lights went out in Georgia. Listen to what they're doing in Georgia. Only in Georgia. Okay, so don't trust your soul to any backwoods southern lawyer when the judge in the town's got bloodstains on his hand. That's just good wisdom. That's just good sense. You can take that with you for the rest of your life. But then there's, this is the last one. This is the godfather. This is the king of country music who, who tells the greatest ballad perhaps ever, the, the saddest song, the thing you can just see. I, I don't even need to introduce it. Right here it is. He stopped loving her today. Hey, praise the Lord is Remember that? Okay, so I'm telling you, you, you can't sing that song without being sad. You just can't. Whether you like country music or not, some of you holding your nose, you're too fancy for country music. Listen, you are from Kentucky, people. You're from Appalachia. As much as you try to talk like you're not, you're from Appalachia. So you might as well embrace some country music. Now, the reason that country music resonates so much, and it's just not country music. Obviously, there's ballads in, in every genre of music that tell story, but, but we love songs that tell a story. We particularly love the stories that we find in some way tell a bit of our story. That's the songs that we connect with emotionally. That, that, that's the songs that there's something in those words. There's something in the melody that we understand. There's something in that song we've lived. There's something in that song that we have felt before, that we've lived through, that we've came out of, that there's something in the lyrics and the melody that we can relate to because what's in the song and what I know is my life, it becomes a shared experience. It's like, oh, this person gets it. This person knows exactly, this is how I feel. It's those songs that give us important words for important things that oftentimes we have no words for. That's, again, why we love the Psalms. And if you weren't here last week, this is what we say about the Psalms. The Psalms are songs. The Psalms are songs, and in those songs are the stories of our life. That's the reason we're drawn to them. That's the reason they're a bit magnetic. And when we give them a shot, we keep on coming back to them time and time again. It's an anthology of ancient songs that belong to Israel throughout the generations and throughout the centuries that God included in the middle of our English Bible. And when you read through the Psalms, they're full of real emotion because they're connected to real events that real people went through. And so when we pick up our Bible and we read through the Psalms, you know what we find? We find our emotions. We find our stories, we find our experiences. And we look into the Psalms and we can actually begin to see a reflection of ourselves. We can actually begin to see a reflection of our life and what we're going through or what we went through once upon a time or what we anticipate that we may go through in the future. So today we're gonna to look at a different Psalm. Last week we looked at Psalm 103, but today I didn't wanna do this Psalm. Um, for a lot of different reasons, and, and I tried to go a lot of different directions, but I just kept feeling like God kept drawing my heart back here. And, and maybe the reason that I didn't wanna do this psalm is because it is probably the most famous psalm of all. Uh, it, it, it's, it's so personal that it's become universal. And, and it's become so universal that it's almost a cliche, which is tragic. So here's what I wanna to say to you this morning. Most everybody here in the room in London, Williamsburg, Somerset, Middlesbrough, those of you watching online, 
You have heard these words before. You've seen them on a coffee cup. You've heard them at a funeral. You've heard someone pray these at the bedside of someone who's sick. But here's what I wanna say to you. Don't allow the familiarity of the words that we're gonna talk about this morning to rob you of the beauty and the power of the words that we're gonna take a look at this morning. Because for generations, people have turned to these words and found what they needed in the time of their need. The anxious have turned to these words and they found peace. The fearful read these words and found courage. Those who were grieving read these words and found hope. The rebellious came across these words and found grace. And even the dying heard these words and found a sense of spiritual life in them. And of course, I'm talking about Psalm 23. And Psalm 23 begins with the Lord is my shepherd. But here's what I wanna do at all of our churches this morning. I want us to read the 23rd Psalm out loud. So I want you to read it out loud. I want you to follow along and we're gonna read through it and then we're gonna talk about it, okay? You ready? Here we go. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup runs over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Now, these words that most of us were introduced to maybe in Sunday school or as a child in some way, this was written by King David. And King David wrote these words near the end of his life. He, he was in the last seasons of his life. And David, if you're not you know, really sure about who he was or what he did, he was the second king of Israel. And he was crowned king of Israel in 1010 BC, which was about a thousand years before Jesus shows up on the pages of history. David was a man of passion and destiny. Uh, he was an extraordinary blend of rare qualities that you, you, you rarely see in one particular individual. He was a warrior, but yet he was a poet. He, he was tough, but yet he was tender. He was decisive, yet wise. He was brave, but yet he was humble. He was confident, yet he was teachable. He, his hands, his hands were so skilled that he could play the strings, but yet his hands were so strong that he could kill his enemy. That's David, and we're just kind of drawn to him. He's a man's man. I mean, he, he's somebody that we can look up to. He's somebody that we can understand and relate to in the sense of not only was he a man of great faith, but he was also a man of some great failure. And so when we see David's life, we see bits and reflections of our own life and our own experience. Uh, for one reason, David lived most of his life as an overlooked underdog. And a lot of us, that's how we feel. We kind of feel overlooked by some people. We kind of feel like, you know, the proverbial underdog, dismissed, not heard, not seen. And so a lot of us, we can relate to that storyline. And that was David for much of his life. When he showed up to Goliath, he was the underdog. Uh, when Samuel, the prophet, showed up to his house, all of his other brothers were thought to be the next king. David was the underdog out in the field taking care of his father's sheep. And so we can relate to that. Uh, David was a guy who felt the bone deep pain of life. He knew betrayal. He, he knew about all that weight that comes along with the betrayal of a friend. He also knew about the weight of messing things up yourself. He knew about family dysfunction because none of us know anything about that. 
right? He, he came out of a family of dysfunction. His father apparently didn't think the best of him because of that whole scenario that happened with Samuel and all the other brothers were kind of favored and the favorites, but it seemed like David wasn't so much. He also had a train wreck for a family himself. His kids, they were jacked up. It was just one wild family uh, in the palace with David. Uh, David knew success, he knew failure. And there's more chapters telling the story of David's life in the scripture, in the Old Testament. Any other Old Testament figure, none of them has as many chapters devoted to telling their story as what David does. So there's a lot to learn. There's a lot for us to glean out of the life of David. And, and so David, as, he, as he's towards the end of his life, and he's thinking back over his life because the older we get, we tend to do that. We, we tend to look back some. You know, there's not so much to look forward to. So we look back and, and that helps us be hopeful for whatever future is left. So he's, he's towards the end of his life and he looks back over his life and, and he thinks, you know, I've been a shepherd. You know, he, he's, a, he's a poet, he, he's, a, he's a songwriter. And so he's thinking about things. He's in that creative process. And, and he's thinking, you know, I've been a shepherd almost my entire life since I was a kid. I, I shepherded my father's sheep out there in Judea near Bethlehem. I shepherded my father's sheep. And he, he thought about those years when he was running from King Saul, when Saul turned against him and how he was a shepherd of the men of renown, this, this elite group and band of soldiers that, that David was the leader of. And he thought about how he shepherded them. And, and now he's king and he's towards the end of his reign and he's thinking about how he has shepherded the entire nation. And one interesting note, when it talks about David's leadership, when it talks about him being the shepherd of God's people, the nation of Israel, it says that he led God's people with a skillful hand. He was a good shepherd. He knew how to take care of sheep. He knew how to take care and lead people. It was just in his DNA. It was just, it's just who he was. It's what he did. So he looks back over his life and he thinks, you know what, I've been a shepherd. I know something about what it's like to be a shepherd. I know the responsibilities and the burden of being a shepherd. But then he also looks back over his life and he realizes something. He realizes that as he has been a shepherd himself most all of his life, he realizes that for most all of his life that he too has had a shepherd. That he is just not a shepherd in the way that he's lived his life, but he is actually a lamb. He's a sheep and he has had a shepherd and he looks back over all the seasons of his life and he can see that he's had someone who guided him and provided for him and protected him. And, and so he picks up his pen and it kind of becomes all clear to him and he pins the first line of the song and he says, the Lord is my shepherd. And, and this is a metaphor that's used 700 plus times in the scriptures. So, so there's a lot that God wants us to understand about this shepherd sheep model, this relationship that God as shepherd and we are his sheep. Now. That's the inference. If God is the shepherd, then we are his sheep. And it's a little bit of a very clever backhanded insult that David gives himself and gives all of us because sheep, let's just, let's just say it the way it is, sheep are stupid. They're not smart, they're dumb. You've heard of the saying, dumb as sheep. You know, I, maybe not heard that, but it's something like that. So, you know, you're just dumb as sheep. That, that's kind of how it goes. You're, you're not smart, you're just, you're just dumb. I'm not talking about your IQ, I'm not talking about your intellectual quotient, I'm talking about you're just, you're just kind of, you're rocks for brains. I don't know how else to say it, you're just, you're just not smart. And, and, and sheep aren't smart, you know, you, you can put a rope on the ground and even though, you know, sheep can just walk over that rope, if you can get the first one to jump over it, then every single one of the sheep that come next are gonna jump over that rope as well because they're just dumb. 
there was a story out of Turkey, Eastern Turkey, uh, back about a year and a half ago, where 450 sheep jumped off a cliff to their death. So what in the world would cause 450 sheep to jump off a cliff to their death? Well, it only took the first one. And when the first one jumped off, everybody else jumped off too. You know, maybe your parent looked at you one time and said, if your best friend jumped off a bridge, would you? They knew how dumb you were. They knew how dumb we all can be. We're sheep. Somebody jumps off, we think, well, you know, might as well. Sheep have no sense of direction. You lose your dog, you wanna get rid of your dog, you take him six miles away, drop him off, hope for the best. He'll find his way back home, that sucker. He's clever. Three days later, he's on the front porch. <laughs> like y'all never missed a beat. It's like, I, I tried to lose you, Joker. Can't lose me. You take a sheep, they ain't finding their way home. They don't know where home is. That's how they are. They wander away, they're lost. They have no defense mechanism. Do you know sheep can be scared to death, literally? There's a story, 2016, out of England in West Sussex. In 2016, there were over 100 sheep that were scared to death. They died as a result of being frightened by a couple of dogs. That's how shaky they are. That's how easy they get bent up out of shape. That's how quick they are to just panic to the point where they're just quite literally dead. They make foolish decisions. Sheep, I mean, maybe, maybe not, but they probably know they can't swim, but what do they do? They jump in water anyway and they drown. That's just what they do. Sheep gets hung up in barbed wire on Monday, guess what's gonna happen on Tuesday? It's gonna go back and get hung up in the barbed wire. It doesn't learn from its mistake. Does this at all sound like something we can connect to? Does this at all sound like part of my story and your story? And this is the cleverness and this is the genius and the brilliance of David's writing. The Lord is my shepherd. And there's already so much we've learned. In those pools in life, we can't swim, we jump in, we drown. There's been barbed wire, we've been hung up in time and time and time and time and time again. We just keep on going back, keep on going back, keep on going back. We wander away, we cannot hardly find our way back home. We just get lost and it's like, we're hopeless. We just can't find our way back. They wander off into danger because every time they get away from the shepherd, it's dangerous. Every time you and I have wandered away from our shepherd, it has proven to be dangerous for us. It's proven to be treacherous. We have no defense mechanism. We fall prey to enemies. We fall prey to ourselves. And so he says, the Lord, the Lord is my shepherd, the creator of the universe, the one who placed the stars in the sky, who scooped out the oceans, who weighed the mountains in the balance of his hand. That's who wants to shepherd my life, David says. That has been the shepherd of my life. That's who wants to shepherd your life. The one who knows all things, sees all things, knows the end from the beginning, who knows you better than you know you. That's who wants to shepherd you. That's who wants to guide you, protect you, provide for you. That's who he is, the Lord the scripture says he's a gentle shepherd, Isaiah 40, 11, that he carries us sometimes in his chest, at his chest, so that we will trust his heart. He's attentive. He knows when we wander away. And he comes after us. 
Then he bandages up our hurts and our injuries. He strengthens our weaknesses. He's a compassionate shepherd. Listen, you gotta be patient to be a shepherd because those sheep will try your patience, but you get in knowing they're sheep and you get into it knowing how sheep act and how sheep behave and what dumb things sheep can do. David says, I've looked back over my life and I'll tell you, my shepherd has been so patient with me. He knew my name. And when I wandered away, because he knew my name, because he counted his sheep, he would come after me. And David could probably think of time after time after time after time that the shepherd had to come after him when he wandered off. The times that he had fallen down and the shepherd was there to pick him back up. The shepherd who had taken him to places that he could have never gotten to on his own. The Lord is my shepherd. David is inviting us to see God that way. He's inviting you to think of God that way. God, your shepherd, who is compassionate, attentive, and gentle, who knows who you are, or as David would say in the 103rd Psalm, that he knows our frame, he remembers we are but dust. He knows what we're capable of. He knows what we tend to do over and over. He's not surprised when we're human. He's not surprised when sinners sin. He's passionate towards us. And not only is he passionate towards us in love, he's compassionate towards us because he understands and he comes after us to bring us back to where he knows is best and good for us. And so David says, the Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. I lack nothing. David said, I look back over my life and I'll tell you, let me give a word of testimony, David would say. The best times in my life was when I allowed the Lord to be my shepherd. The times that I was most fulfilled, the times that I was most satisfied, the times that I was most content, the times that I was most pleased with myself and with the world. It was when I was following the shepherd. That was the best version of me when I followed the shepherd. Now in those days, David's days, in the Orient, kings were also referred to as shepherds. If you were a king, you were also thought to be the shepherd of your kingdom, the shepherd of your people. And so this is another way of David saying, the Lord is my king, I lack nothing. This was David saying, the greatest days of my life is when I surrendered my kingdom to God's kingdom. The greatest days of my life was when I got off the throne of my own life and I invited the shepherd, I invited the Lord to sit down on the throne of my life and I took my cues from him. I allowed him to pick my path, to direct my decisions, to set my pace. David's saying those were the days I realized I've, I've lacked nothing following the shepherd. I was content. I wasn't feeling like something was missing or someone was missing. There were those times, but when I was following the shepherd, I had everything that I needed. I had peace, I had joy, I had all the things that mattered. It's a picture of a life without lack. Guarantee you that if we've given everybody a three by five card, it may have needed to be a bigger card this morning. That when you walked into the Creek Church, wherever you are today, you walked into the Creek Church, and at the top of that card, it says, write down everything your life lacks. You would have had possibly, potentially, probably a list. Imagine what David's saying. 
The Lord is my shepherd. It is a life without lack. It's a life where there's not anything or anyone that is a missing piece. I'm not contingent on anyone or anything completing me. There's no Jerry Maguire moment. When you look into her eyes and look at, you complete me. No, there's none of that. He says, the Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. I don't lack peace. I don't lack, I don't lack love. I don't lack joy. I, I don't lack any of that. I'm not controlled by fear or fret or regret. I lack nothing. I lack nothing that will lead me to fulfillment. I lack nothing that will lead me to a greater sense of contentment. I lack nothing. The Lord is my shepherd. Can you imagine saying that? Can you imagine how good it would be to be able to say that and believe it and mean it? Can you imagine being able to say, right now in this moment, there's nothing that I need. There's no one that I need. Now there's people that I love and care about, my family, I love them, but there's no one or no thing that I need. I've got everything I need in the one who is my shepherd. I find my ultimate meaning, my ultimate purpose, my ultimate value in the one who leads me and shepherds me. No matter what's happening, I lack nothing. Let me ask you a question. How many of you would say you're a bit like me? You look back and you realize that you have spent way too much time chasing someone or something once upon a time thinking that if you got that someone or that something, it would complete you. It would fulfill you. It would satisfy you. So what did you do? You bought it. You married it. And you discovered there's still something missing. And you thought that you were going to find contentment and fulfillment elsewhere. So what did you do then? You sold it. You left them. You found something else to buy, someone else to hitch to. And you just get in this dangerous cycle of looking for satisfaction, looking for contentment, looking for fulfillment because there's this void, there's this emptiness inside and you're wondering, what is it that can fulfill this? There's something missing. I just can't be happy. I just can't be content. I can't be fulfilled and I've tried it with this and I've tried it with that, but I just can't find what I'm looking for. That would be a good song. And it's this dangerous cycle that reminds us that our worst decisions often come when we're most discontent. Some of your worst financial decisions came when you were most discontent. Some of your worst relational decisions came when you were most discontent. Some of your worst professional decisions came when you were most discontent. So we went after cheap substitutes to fill a void that only a relationship with our creator, only a relationship with our creator can fulfill that void. Here's what David's saying. When my heavenly father is my shepherd, my life lacks nothing and I have everything I need. Let's just confess that out loud. Even though though we may not be there yet, even though we may not feel it, let's just say that out loud together. When my heavenly father is my shepherd, my life lacks nothing and I have everything I need. You should just probably write that down, type that in your phone, and you should just declare that over your life every single morning. You wake up. One of the first things you do, you just say it out loud. When my heavenly father is my shepherd, my life lacks nothing and I have everything I need. So today, God, be my shepherd. Lord, I'm gonna follow you because when I follow you, I lack nothing and I've got everything I need. David goes on, he says, my shepherd, he makes me lie down in green pastures. 
He leads me, he feeds me. He gives me what I need. He gives me what I truly need. Doesn't give me everything I want, but he gives me what I, what I really need. And sometimes I don't even know what I really need. Sometimes God will give you a thirst. Sometimes God will give us a hunger that only himself can satisfy. That there's a thirst and there's a hunger within humanity that only God himself can satisfy. And this is what David's saying. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He gives me what I need. He leads me beside the quiet waters because sheep, again, they're scared of water. They, they can't swim. So the shepherd, I love this. This is beautiful. He finds quiet water. Not any water will do. It needs to be quiet. So he'll find a quiet brook, a quiet stream, or maybe he'll make a pool out of rocks so that his sheep, listen to this, can drink in peace. Not fearful, not shaken. Not fearful, not shaken. I wonder if God, our heavenly father, our shepherd, our Lord, I wonder if he looks at the American church these days and says, why are you so fretful and shaken? Why are you so fearful and shaken? Why are you talking like the world is falling apart? Do I not still hold the world in my hands? Am I not still seated upon my throne? What are you so worried about? I've given you quiet waters, but you're over there drinking at the waterfall. You can't get away from the waterfall of cable news or radio personalities or the people you like to go to to hear what you already believe. And so what does it do? It just fuels fret, anger, and you feel shaken. And you wonder, something's gotta happen. Something's gotta happen as though God's not in control. Here's good news. The shepherd is always in control. And you don't have to be fear, fearful. You don't have to be shaken. Now, a lot of us, we, we were presented with a version of God once upon a time that it was a God who only cared about what we did, right? And, and most of the time, it was a God who cared about what you did wrong more than he cared about what you did right. I mean, God was kind of more into condemning what you did wrong than he was celebrating what you did right. Or at least that was kind of how I thought about it. You know, it was like God was always ready to smoke me, but he was very seldom up there Way to go, son. Way to go, Trev. Come on, PB. That's hitting it. Yeah, not, we just didn't think of God that way. It was like God was just waiting for us to mess up. But, but here's a picture of God that is so encouraging because he goes and looks for quiet water so his sheep can be at peace. And here's what we learn. God cares about how you feel, not just what you do. God doesn't want you to be fearful. God doesn't want you to be fretful. God doesn't want you to be shaken. God doesn't want you to be anxious and off your equilibrium. God cares about how you feel. God cares about that unresolved anger. God cares about that insecurity. God cares about that. God cares about how his sheep feel, not just what his sheep do. And that's reassuring. Don't you care as a mom or dad how your kids feel? It's just not what they do. It's how they feel. You want them to feel healthy. You want them to feel good emotions. You don't want them to be robbed of peace and joy. Your heavenly father's like that. So he takes us to quiet waters. So we're full, green pastures, we're satisfied. 
We're not uneasy, we're not anxious, but we are at peace. Can you see the picture? The shepherd has taken us to a place of peace, green pastures, quiet waters. Sometimes even a shepherd, when sheep, they're, they're not even smart enough to get, oh, this is a green pasture. Oh, this is quiet. What? Sometimes the sheep would take the head gently of a sheep and force it to the ground to say, this, this is a safe place. This is a good place. Settle down. Take a moment. Take a breath. Let me mend what's wrong. Let me mend your wounds. Let me, let me care for you. And it's in those moments, David said, he refreshes my soul. When I'm full and I'm satisfied and I'm at peace and I feel satisfied and content, that, that's when he refreshes me. He restores me. Restores my, my energy like the youth of an eagle, as we talked about last week. He guides me along the right paths for his namesake. Shepherds know that sheep can't stay in green pastures beside those same quiet waters forever. It's a bad thing to stay in a good place too long. Every good thing has the potential to become a bad thing. Every blessing has the potential to become a burden. Every green pasture and quiet water, if a shepherd's not there, the sheep can undermine it, the sheep can misuse it. Because sheep have a notorious reputation of being animals of habit. Left to themselves, they'll do the same things over and over and over again. They'll travel the same paths until those paths become ruts. They'll graze graze in the same pasture field until it's a wasteland. They'll eat up everything. If sheep are gonna flourish, it's because they have a shepherd. If left to themselves, they will undermine themselves. Time out. Does that sound familiar? When left to ourselves, we undermine ourselves. When left to green pastures, we can overgraze them until they become desolate and impoverished. How many of us have traveled the same paths over and over again and they become ruts? Financial ruts, relational ruts, emotional ruts, spiritual ruts. Erosion's taken place because we tried to stay in a good place for too long. Left to themselves, sheep often become the victim of their own appetites and habits. So do we. Make it personal, so do I. So he guides me along the right paths. The right paths for his name's sake. And here's what the shepherd does. The shepherd keeps us from getting settled too long in one place. Because we get settled too long in one place, it's not, it's not good for us. We, we have a core value around here at the creek that says we can't stay here. You stay too long in one place, you're gonna forfeit a better future. So what does the shepherd do? He moves them. He takes them to new places, new pastures, new waters. He keeps things fresh. Because where the sheep, when the sheep are in a fresh place, that's when they can be at their best. Otherwise, the sheep will just stay where they are until they die. That's what's happened to a lot of churches all across America. They decided to sit in green pastures and they ate 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 ate from that same pasture. They refused to change. They refused to do different. They refused to entertain anything different. And so they turned it into a wasteland and everybody just died. It can happen to you. It can happen to me. It can happen to us. Sheep will just stay where they are until they die. If they don't have a shepherd to lead them beyond it. This is something I wrote in my notes this week. Don't sacrifice the future for the sake of keeping things familiar. 
Don't sacrifice your future just because you like what's familiar or what's easy or what you've already got figured out. Sooner or later, if you embrace what's familiar and what's easy and what's comfortable, you will give up the future that God is trying to take you to. That's why we need him to guide us along the path, the right path for his namesake. Because we wander away, we get stuck. We fall prey to Proverbs 14, 12, that there is a way that seems right to us, but in the end, it leads to what? It leads to death. And all of us, we, we've experienced that. There are big decisions that we needed to make and it seemed right and it looked right and it, it felt right. And it just, it, just, it just like, we would bet it was the right thing, but there was a way that seemed right to us, but in the end, it kind of led to destruction. It led to death and we ended up in a place that we never wanted to be. Because no one starts out wanting to make bad decisions about important things. But we're sheep. And there's ways that seem right to us that lead to destruction, that require the expertise of a shepherd. At this point in the Psalm, the scene changes. And this is where we'll begin to land the plane. The sheep are full. They're satisfied. And at the right time, at the right moment, the shepherd comes along and says, it's time to move. You've been here too long. It's time to take a step forward. So they go to new places. They walk on new paths that they wouldn't have chosen for themselves, but they're the right path because the shepherd knows the best way forward. And this brings us to the exact middle of the Psalm. There's no more fertile slopes. There's no more bubbling brooks. All of a sudden now there's darkness. But in the darkness, there's no need to fear. In the darkness, there's no need to fret because David says we're being led by the shepherd. And he pins the line that we all know. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, or we know it as the valley of the shadow of death. David's thinking about a real place where real shepherds would lead real sheep, probably from Judea to Galilee. And it was a path that wasn't easy. He'd probably done it multiple times as a teenager. He'd taken his father's Jesse's sheep from Judea and he was leading them north to Galilee. And the path that he had to take them, the path wasn't easy at all. It was difficult and there was lots of canyons and the canyons were deep and infested with thieves and predators. He said, why would a shepherd who loves his sheep so much take them through such dark cavernous valleys, walk them along high cliffs? Why would a shepherd do that? Because the shepherd knows where the sheep need to be in the next season. See, the summer sun begins to melt the snow in the north. And as the snow melts away, it uncovers brand new rich vegetation. And the shepherd knows that's where the sheep need to go. So he has to take them higher. But before he takes them higher, he has to take them through the darkest of valleys. And it's gonna be dangerous. And it's not gonna be easy. There's uncertainties. There's risk. But the shepherd is leading the way. He's been this way before. And the psalmist says, even though I walk through the valley, even though I walk through the darkest place, even though I face the inevitable pains of life, sooner or later, somebody's gonna knock on your door with bad news. Sooner or later, a doctor's gonna walk into the office where you are and he's gonna give you or somebody you love the bad news that you never wanted to hear. Sooner or later, there's gonna be a tragedy that you didn't see coming. 
Sooner or later, there's gonna be something that you didn't wish and you didn't pray for, but it's gonna happen. That's just kind of life. And Psalm 23 is a reminder that this is not a static picture. This is a journey. The sheep's gonna go through some difficulty. They're gonna go through some trials, but they're gonna be better for it. They're gonna be stronger for it on the other side. There's no other way. It's unavoidable. And it's just a picture of life. It's a picture of all the difficulties of life that we all already know about. He's walking through. The good news is the shepherd is walking them through it. It's not gonna last forever. The shepherd is walking them towards something. And what's on the other side of it? It's gonna be good. It's gonna be healthy. And because the shepherd is leading them, they fear nothing. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Listen to what he goes on to say in verse five. Because as the shepherd takes them north, there's, there's slopes and what's called the tablelands. It's just really a plateau or a, a, it's just a, a place that has steep incline, but it's been worked for centuries and it's been graded by hand and there's been vegetation that's been planted there and wells that have been dug there. But listen to what he says in verse five of chapter 23. He says, you prepare a table before me in the presence of of my enemies. There's snakes in those fields. There's enemies in those fields. But you anoint my head with oil. The shepherd would take those, those holes that those snakes would be in, those adders, and he would pour that thick hole down the holes to almost entrap the sheep's enemy, to imprison the sheep's enemy, to make the sheep's enemy harmless. And whatever gnats were bothering the sheep, he would take the oil and he would, he would place it on their head or he would place it on their wounds. He would try to bring as much comfort to the sheep as possible in a very difficult moment. You anoint my head with oil, my cup. Listen to what he goes on to say. My cup overflows, not with oil, but with water. Because in those tablelands, wells have been dug the shepherd had visited there ahead of time. Generations of shepherds had dug wells there. Generations of shepherd had prepared the fields there. And David thinks back over his life and he says, one thing is certain. It is now obvious to me that every season of my life, that when I got there, my shepherd had already prepared the way for me that the shepherd had gone before me and prepared the way for me. The path that I was walking was not strange to him. It was not something that he had ever seen or not encountered, but he had been there before. He had walked the dark valleys. He'd walked along those narrow cliffs. He knew where the enemies and the predators were. And David says, every place that I showed up in my life, I realize now that he got there before me. The Lord is my shepherd. My cup, it runs over. And surely, 
goodness, your goodness, and your love will follow me all the days of my life. Not only has the shepherd led me, he's gone before me, but when I look back, the rear is not left unguarded. His love and his mercy, they follow after me all the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Because what started in summer ends in winter. In wintertime, the shepherd leads the sheep home. And David saw that he was approaching home. And as he approached home, he could do so with hope and gladness, lacking nothing. Because the faithfulness of the shepherd yesterday and the faithfulness of his shepherd today gave him the confidence that his shepherd would be faithful tomorrow. Surely, goodness and mercy. I look back over my life and you know what I can say? Surely, goodness and mercy. It's followed me for 43 years. When I wasn't looking for it, when I didn't care about it, his love, his goodness, his mercy, it was following after me. And when I fell down, it picked me up. When I wandered off, it came after me. When I showed up to a place that was new and fresh and scary, the shepherd was already there. Opened the doors, plant the field, dug the well. I drank the water, I ate the food. He's been good to me all of my life. You know what? He wants to be our shepherd. And you can trust your life to a shepherd who knows it all. Second, you can trust your life to a shepherd who gave his life for all. If he gave his life for you, you can trust him with everything, with what's right and what's good and what's best for you. And you can trust your life to a shepherd who stands above it all, who's on his throne, who's in control. And there's not an enemy that you'll ever face that he will not defeat. And one day when you stand before the greatest enemy of all, death, you'll be able to say what Paul said, death, where is thy sting? And you'll find out that the shepherd had met death before you did and robbed him of his power because he placed in you life and just not life, but life eternal. So are you following the shepherd? Is your life submitted? Is your life obedient? Are you trusting him with the decisions? Are you following his paths or have you wandered off to your own thing? And if you have, if you've wandered off and you feel like, I just don't know if I can get back, just follow the shepherd back because he's coming after you. Not to pay you back, but to win you back, to take you back to the fold, to get you back to safety, to get you back to that place where you can say, I lack nothing. I've got everything I need that nobody does for me what Jesus does for me. He invites you back. If you're fearful, if you're fretful, follow the shepherd. He's above it all. You don't have to be panicked. 
There's peace for you. There's joy for you. The Lord is my shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. Heavenly Father, thank you for a song that told David's story, it tells Israel's story, it tells my story. Thank you, Good Shepherd, that you laid down your life for the sheep. Thank you, Good Shepherd, that when I wandered away, you came after me. Thank you, Good Shepherd, that when you found me, you were gentle. (laughs) You picked me up, you drew me close. You taught me about your heart. You taught me about how you feel towards me. And you've been faithful to guide me along the right paths. So God, forgive me where I stepped off your path and followed my own. But thank you, God, for the grace that always invites me back on and back in. Speak to our hearts what we need to hear today. Some need to rededicate. Some need to recommit their life to you. They're going down the wrong path, a dangerous path, their own path. God, may this be the day you call us back. And for those that have never trusted you, may today be the day that they place their hope and trust in a shepherd who will faithfully guide and lead. Not only through this life, but in the life to come. In Jesus' name, and everybody everywhere said,